Hey, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open it up to the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. That's Luke's Gospel, beginning today in chapter 11, in verse number 5. Luke 11, verse 5. But before we get there, I wanted to tell you a story. Um, some years ago, I went to visit a lady in our church that attended our church in Hawaii Kai. Now, the lady was and still is a very godly uh, person, had been a great encourager to me, uh, still is, and uh, to many others. But she was really down at this point in her life. And the reason why is because almost back to back, she lost a grandson and then subsequent to that, lost her grown son very suddenly. And she was really discouraged. And I went to spend some time with her and just let her share and talk. And by the way, old Pastor Gallagher gave me some good advice many years ago. Somebody's in that kind of a place, best thing to do is listen. After listening for a while, though, and, you know, it was spinning later and near, you know, dinner, and I knew she had to, to get going. And I, I said to her, hey, well, listen, can we, can we pray? And she said, pray? What difference does prayer make? I prayed for my son, and he died anyway. Those of you who know me know that I am rarely at a loss for words. (laughs) But that moment, I was. Every faith has some form of prayer. You know, you can go to the remotest part of the earth and you can find people that are praying on a daily basis. People like this that are uh, offering up, could be food, uh, could be other things uh, to try to appease what they perceive to be God. Uh, The ancient Incas, the Aztecs, even the Hawaiians used to, uh, to name just a few uh, tribal peoples that have even offered human sacrifices in hopes of getting the gods to listen to their pleas. Five times a day, Muslims will stop and will, whatever they're doing, they could be driving their car, they could be drinking coffee, they could be playing soccer, and they stop and they bow down to pray. Millions of people in recovery groups, AA and the like, uh, plead with a higher power every single day to help them because they want to beat their addictions. And then, of course, Other people, Buddhists, uh, Hindus, Christians, uh, Jewish people pray. Why? Why do we pray? (laughs) Well, we pray for a number of reasons. I think it's fair to say is because when things are going what we would perceive to be, when things are going well, we want to be able to be thankful for things that are beautiful and good in this life. There are also times we pray because we feel small, we feel helpless, we feel afraid we feel alone and we want to connect with somebody beyond ourselves the one who cares for us and can do something to make a difference the big question though is does prayer make a difference does it of course in much of our modern world especially in educational circles uh, prayer is scoffed at today whether it's high school teachers, whether in public school, or even some so-called Christian schools here, 
to the college campuses to celebrity neo-atheists, people like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. If you uh, surf the internet, you may have heard these guys, very articulate anti-theists doing their best to convince people that prayer is basically delusional. It's a complete waste of time. And yet, to the believer, to you, to me, I have to believe one of the reasons we're here today is we believe that prayer is not a waste of time. In fact, it may be the best use of our time because why? Because prayer is that connection point where people interact with God. If that's the case, then we need to find out more about prayer, and in particular, how prayer works. So I want to look at a passage that may be familiar to many of you, but if not, I want to look at it together because God has shown us how prayer works. We need to find out from him how we should do this. In Luke chapter 11, that passage begins where Jesus' disciples must have seen him praying. In fact, Jesus, in the gospel accounts, was it was recorded that he was praying, you know, dozens of times where his disciples uh, uh, noticed that, and it was recorded. Well, in this account, it says that they came to him and asked him, Master, teach us to pray. And so he gave them what we would today call the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, well, at the end of that, you'd think he said, now go and just go do that. No. Jesus, in his own inimitable style, told them a parable And a parable, by the way, here's a simple definition. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told them a parable to illustrate the issue of prayer and how that works. And that's what I want to focus on today. Look with me. It says here, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, when you stop there, the point of this story seems really obvious, doesn't it? Seems pretty plain as day. Well, if you want prayer answered, you just need to be persistent. Just hang in there, hang tough, and keep doing it, and everything will turn out okay. But if that's the case in this story, we have a problem. Because that would make the man in the bed in this story, that would make him out to be God, who, by the way, never gets tired and never sleeps, the psalmist tells us. He who watches Israel, God's people, neither slumbers nor sleeps. He never gets tired. And second, the man in the bed, he gets irritated. And the only reason he ended up getting out of bed in this story was the sheer stubborn persistence of this guy knocking on his door. The Bible says that God is not like that. Let me clarify. There are two kinds of parables. One is based on comparison, meaning where you compare things. And this is based on likeness, whereas there are other parables that are based on contrast, meaning based on differences. 
Jesus told many stories that were based on comparison. The kingdom of God is like, and he would tell people, this is what the kingdom of God is like. But this parable is not like that. He's telling a parable based on contrast, meaning the differences are, meaning it's so dissimilar to what the truth is that it makes a point by contrast. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here is the point of this story. If a man who has a cold, calloused heart, even to a friend, is willing to get up and give him something, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need when you come to him in prayer? The Bible makes it plain in many, many places. God wants the best for you. A verse that may be familiar to many of you is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has good things in store for you and for me. Because he loves us and he made us. He also, the Bible tells us, knows every single need we have before we say a word. Did you know that? He knows every detail about your life. Furthermore, he's promised to meet every need that we have as long as we seek first his kingdom, meaning his rulership in our lives. As we seek him first, he said, I'll provide everything that you need. An indispensable part of this, then, is understanding how prayer works, and that's what I want to look at this morning. Just a simple outline on the back of your bulletin. I'm a simple guy. I like things simple. Okay, so I want to just go through and and take a look at what God wants us to do when it comes to prayer. And the first thing is this. He he wants us to ask. He wants us to. Look at this this passage here and write out a book of Luke. So I say to you, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, grovel, beg, you know? If you want something, you better get down, you know? He didn't say that. In fact, begging is not necessary to receiving from God. And sometimes we think that. Now, let me add a quick caveat to that. Now, Jesus is the Lord. (laughs) He's our master, and we need to come to him humbly And with respect. But he simply said, ask. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said many years later, he said, you have not because you ask not. It's like the line from an old song. We don't sing it that much, but it's a great one. What a friend we have in Jesus. Where it says in there, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you ever feel like sometimes when you're praying that God is asleep and that you dare not try to wake him up? Listen, God is ready and willing to answer the prayers that we have. There are different reasons that we don't ask. 
one that I think is common is we think that we, we, we fall victim to this thinking, well, God has already planned everything out, so, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. It is what it is, man. That, that's what could be called, philosophers call that determinism or deterministic thinking. Like it's all laid out and nothing you do can change anything about it. That is not what the Bible teaches. God invites us to participate in seeing his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said an interesting thing on the very night that he was going to be betrayed and later crucified. John chapter 16, verse 24 Look with me at this statement. Until now, he told his followers, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I have to ask myself sometimes, if I'm not the most joyful, and hey, man, I'm an administrator. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> No, I mean, I always have something to do, some issue to resolve. But then I, you know, every now and then I'll think, or my wife will tell me, you know, you're not the most joyful to be around. Then I think to myself, hey, am I praying about that or am I just trying to figure this out on my own? Have I really asked? Jesus said, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So Jesus had asked, the second thing he said is, seek, seek, and you will find. See, prayer is not a passive attitude. I mean, the Bible never teaches us that we should have a passive attitude about our lives or our needs in life anyway. You know, if you're hungry, uh, yeah, you might pray, give us this day our daily bread, but you know, I mean, if the fridge is there and you have this attitude like, well, Lord, if you really want me to eat, you're just that food is just going to magically come out of that fridge and be ready. No. <laughs> we get up and we do something about it, right? Hey, if you need a job, you can pray and say, Lord, I need a job. And I need this kind of a job because of my education and experience. I need you to do that. I need you to provide that job for me. But listen, if you need a job and you just pray about it and then you don't do anything about it, Come on. You need to get a resume done. You update it. You need to get out there. You need to talk to people. You need to get online. You need to post your resume. You need to follow up with people, right? Why is it that we think that when we seek the Lord that it's any different than something as simple as that? We seek the Lord. We need to seek an answer to prayer. Now, one of the reasons that we have things like Ohana groups and that we encourage you to get into the Bible is because we call this the Word of God. Now, can God speak to us just in our heart, in our minds? Of course He can. He can speak to us in all kinds of ways. He's not limited like we are. The problem is, I don't know about you, but my feelings sometimes get in the way. My feelings are notoriously unreliable. And I think, Lord, da-da-da-da, and I'm laying out these prayer requests to him. But then I have these thoughts in my mind, and it's like, you know, that, is that really you, God? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's why I need to get into the word. 
I need to bounce those ideas, by the way, off of other Christian brothers and sisters. I need the church. I need to connect with people so that I'm not getting off in left field here when I think, well, the Lord showed me this and therefore seek and you will find. We need to remember, though, to keep seeking. Because sometimes I think we give up a little too early. I heard a story of a lady that had gone on a trip, and she was, you know, at the airport getting ready for the TSA line, and then she realized, oh, my goodness, I left. She had some diamond earrings, and she had left them in the drawer in the bathroom in the hotel where she was staying. And so she got, you know, her phone got out of line, you know, and she's frantic because, you know, you got to stand there forever and all those things that have to happen. She called and she called and got the manager on the phone. He was very polite, you know, customer service. And he said, uh, listen, ma'am, hold on just a minute. I am going to go upstairs right now and I'm going to I'm gonna look for those earrings. Put her on hold. And then when he came back, he, or, or excuse me, first of all, he took the earrings and he put them in the safe there in the office because he wanted to make sure he, you know, just put it in his pocket type of thing. He put them in the safe, locked it up, went back on the phone, and you know what happened? The lady had hung up. Listen, when it comes to prayer, okay, don't hang up. Hang on. Hang on, because sometimes we give up too soon. We need to make an effort to seek if we want to find So Jesus said, ask, seek, and the third thing, knock. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, when it says knock here, uh, and some of you might know this, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Greek is a different language than English. Um, we have one word for knock, or I guess we could say pound, or something like that. This speaks, first of all, of a continuous action. Keep on knocking. In fact, it actually, the verb there is for all three of those actions. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You need to keep on doing that. Now, I, I, just a little parenthesis here. I want you to remember, too, that when it says that, we need to be careful not to conclude that it's wrong to pray for something more than once. There, there, I've heard some people suggest that if you pray for something more than once, then that's actually showing a lack of faith. And that isn't what Jesus said at all. No, he said, keep on. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. But this word knock, interesting. In the story, the one about the friend who comes and knocks at midnight, that's a different Greek word. It really means like unceremoniously pounding on the door. That's what that means. The guy just wouldn't quit, all right? like to the point of rudeness. The other one is more of a polite knock. Do you know what I'm saying? Picture the scene, okay? And let's say you're, you go out, I go out most every night, and I'm emptying the rubbish out to the dumpster that's nearby our house in our townhouse complex, and sometimes I see somebody whose lights got left on in their car. Now, I don't know my neighbors all that well, but if somebody had noticed my lights being left on in my car, I'd appreciate it if they would come even though it's kind of near bedtime, I'd appreciate it if they knock on my door. Now, that can be a little weird. You shut the door, the screen door shut, and you know, you're thinking, man, you know, 
who's knocking at this hour? But, you know, honestly, if somebody did that, would you appreciate it? So your battery wouldn't be dead in the next morning? Well, I would. And that's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about pounding the door down. It's politely knocking. You know, in the end, there's really no such thing as an unanswered prayer. See, God is faithful to answer all of our prayers. But even when he does, sometimes we get confused because of the answer that we get. And that's what I want to look at now. God's answers, first of all, are these. The first answer he gives us is yes. Now, it's always great when you get a yes answer to prayer, especially when it's really quickly. Okay, picture the scene. It's uh, Christmas, and you are going to the mall because you ran out of something, and you have to go to Long's, and you're saying, Oh, Lord, please get me a parking place. <laughs> you know? And something opens up, and you go, There is a God. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, you go downtown. You have to go downtown somewhere to find a parking place. Have you ever tried that? Or you come to Kamiki Christian on a Sunday morning. Did I just say that? Anyway. That to say that sometimes God answers quickly and promptly, and that's great. Sometimes he chooses to do that very, very quickly. But be careful. Don't conclude that just because you got that answer to prayer like that, that means that it's because of your superior persuasive abilities with God. See, the true purpose of prayer is never to get my will done, but to get God's will done. That's the purpose of prayer, is to align my heart with his so that when I'm praying, I'm praying for his will to be done, not just my own. There are those in, uh, in, in, in the religions of the world today that believe if they just ask enough times in a row, they're going to get God to do something. I've actually talked to some Christian friends of mine over the years that believe that if they just keep praying and say it enough times or in a certain way, in a certain formula, then that will basically kind of force God's hand to answer that prayer. That's not what the Bible teaches here. But you know, if you do know that you're praying something that is according to the will of God, you can be sure that God's going to answer that prayer. Look, look at this verse that, in, that the old apostle John uh, wrote in First John chapter 5. He said, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. There are some things in the scripture that are clearly God's will. You can count on a yes answer if that's what your prayer is. Sometimes God answers yes, but sometimes he answers no. And when you get a no answer, uh, I've found over the years that it's usually for one of two reasons. One is because you may have asked with the wrong motive. 
Earlier I spoke about James, the brother of Jesus, who said, you have not because you ask not. But then he added at the end of that passage in James chapter 4, he said, you ask for the wrong motives so you can use it basically on yourself. See, the Bible teaches very plainly that the root of a lot of our problems is just plain and simple self-centeredness, you know? And, of course, the world out there tells us, oh, you can have it your way, right away. That doesn't help much. I don't know who said this. It's a good line. Half of our problems come from wanting our own way. The other half come from getting it. Uh, Isn't that the truth? When I insist on my will being done, not thy will be done, Lord, but my will be done, Lord, it's going to produce problems, not satisfaction. There's a second reason that you may have received a no answer, and that's this, and that is just God loves you too much to give you what you're asking for. You know, think about it. If, if God answered every prayer that we prayed, that might be the worst possible thing for us. In our ignorance, we often ask for things that would ruin us. And, you know, we've seen kids like that. Have you seen kids? Do you have kids? You know, like grandkids that come up to you. I want something. And they, mommy, dad, grandpa, you know. I want it. And then they have to give them the cookie, you know, or whatever it is, you know. Sometimes it's not that big of a deal, but other times if you fall for that, it's not going to help. You, you know what I'm saying. God doesn't want us to experience the pain, the disillusionment of wrong decisions. But you know, there are times when I believe that when we become so insistent on our own way that God sometimes allows us to experience those things. Interesting story told in the Old Testament of the people of God, Israel, at that time who were marching through the wilderness and they got tired of what God was providing for them as far as food. He gave them manna, this miraculous thing that appeared on the ground every morning. But they got tired of it. And they went to Moses, the leader, and said, we're sick of this manna, you know? We want some meat. We, want, we remember all the garlics and the onions and the leeks that we had in Egypt. We want some meat. Well, God gave that to them. It's interesting, later the psalmist commenting on that story from Numbers chapter 11 said, made an interesting statement. He said, God gave them what they asked for, but sent a leanness to their soul. When the prodigal son came to his father and said, give me my inheritance now. That father in Luke 15 gave the boy that money, probably knowing good and well he was going to waste it. And in fact, he did. He wasted it all. You think that father wanted him to end up in that pig pen? I don't think so. But sometimes in the similar way, God will give us something if we're stubbornly insistent on something so that we'll understand that his way is better than ours. So sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no, but other times God says wait. 
ever thought about the fact that God intends to give you many of the things that you've been praying for, but just maybe that his timing is different than yours and mine? In John's Gospel, chapter 11, tells the story of the friend of Jesus, Lazarus. It was close family, you know, very like family. He used to stay at the home of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. It says when Jesus found out that Lazarus was ill, that he waited. He didn't get there to Bethany where they lived until four days later. And Mary came up to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus commenting on that said, in essence, if I'd have been here, it wouldn't have helped. God had a bigger plan. He wanted to resurrect that man from the dead, and that's exactly what he did. Sometimes God wants us to understand that his delays are not always his denials. So don't get discouraged if God delays the answer to your prayers. You're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking, but God is saying, wait. You know, sometimes... <laughs> at least in my own life, what I've discovered is that sometimes God wants to, in the process of me asking for something else, a perfectly good thing. He wants to change me in that process. He wants me to develop patience. And boy, do I need that. I'm one of those guys when, you know, the microwave, it takes 10 seconds to heat something up. I'm like, come on. You know? Because I got things to do, man. You know? I need patience. And that, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, in our quick fix, uh, sitting at the red light, revving our engine kind of world that we live in, sometimes maybe God, have you ever thought of it? God may want you just to wait, you know, to learn something yourself while you're waiting for him to work in a situation? Because you see, God is never late. And I would add, one of the benefits of living longer is that you learn that the best things in life usually take a while, don't they? You know, when I became a Christian, which was a long time ago, over 40 years ago, I found my way to this church and got involved. One of the things that I realized in my mind at that time was the fact that my parents, who were wonderful people, I was really blessed to have really great parents, but I realized that even though they took us to church when we were growing up and they taught us about God, that they didn't really know Jesus. I realized that. And so I began to talk with them. And I lived here, and they, at that time, they lived on the mainland. My dad was a career army officer. He had gone to West Point, and uh, we moved around a lot. So they were there. I was here, and I remember sharing with them and in, in letters. That was way before email. I remember sharing letters and talking with them on the phone. Those times that we did get together, I would, you know, I mean, I would plead with them how they needed to find their peace and hope and meaning in life through Jesus. Thing is, is that, you know, my mom, for a while, at the, especially at the beginning, she thought I was in a cult, you know. Uh, I wasn't, but, you know, after a while, she calmed down a little bit. But my dad was always very calm, very measured. And he, he, this is, in essence, what he would say to me over and over, over the years. He said, 
Jerry, we're really glad that this is, you know, you found this and we're glad that you're a solid law-abiding citizen contributing to society as a minister and so on and so forth, but your mother and I are just fine. You know, there were points over the years that I have to say, I wish I could say, that I stayed up all night fasting and praying for my dad and mom for their salvation. Listen, there were points during that, that, that over the years that I thought, no, you know, Lord, I, I don't know. Maybe their hearts are just hard, you know. I don't know, but you have to work. And, and I just, I have to admit, there were a lot of times that I just thought, Lord, if you're going to do something, you have to do it. I got discouraged. There were whole chunks of time that were like that. So I wasn't one of those guys that could say, oh, you know, I did this, and therefore this happened. And if you do this too, uh, you know, uh, this will happen for you. I, I, I don't know. Over the years, you know, again, um, I remember that as my parents got older, and it was about not quite 10 years ago, I remember my dad called, and bottom line is my mom's mind had begun to slip. And um, he did his best to handle things. Uh, he was retired by then, but still his mind was really sharp and so forth. His body was given out. He was a, to Lauren, he was a paratrooper, and he had done 50 jumps, those of you in the military. Now, he was in the 101st Airborne Division. My dad was a tough guy. In fact, I think we've got a picture, Tim. This is my dad on his second tour in Vietnam. But I remember at that point later on when my mom didn't recognize my dad, she took a knife out of the kitchen drawer and thought he was a stranger. My dad's world came unglued. And I remember... I flew there, and I'm the oldest in the family. I was the executive of their estate, and I did my best to try to help, but, you know, there's so much going on. And, but I remember talking to my dad, God is here, and, you know, you can pray. And he said, thanks. You know, I could tell some, there, was a, you know, there was an opening there, and I began to talk to him. Of course, I had to come back, get back to work and different things. But I remember it was maybe a couple of years later that my dad called one night and things had gotten worse. My mother, he couldn't take care of her anymore. She needed a, a guardian appointed by the state. They lived in New Mexico at the time. It was embarrassing. It was hard. But I remember my dad called one night and it was like, I don't know, 1.30 in the morning and they lived in Albuquerque. So, you know, it was really the time change and everything. I thought, wow, I, I thought maybe, you know, my mom had died or something like that. And you know, Don and I woke up, you know, you wake up out of a, you know, in a lurch. And he said, Jerry, I'm so sorry to call you, but I, I, you know, he said, something just happened to me. He said, I couldn't sleep. I woke up and I had this experience. And he did his best to describe what he believed was God trying to communicate with him. And he said, I, I don't know how to explain this, but I, I wonder, is this the Lord? And I said, well, Dad, it might be, but do you want to make sure? And he said, oh, yeah. And so I prayed with him over the phone that night. My dad committed his life to Christ. Some years later, they, my mom and dad were able to leave and move out to San Diego where my sister and her family live. And as you know, again, too many details to go through. But there were, less than a mile away, there was a Christian church. And I called the pastor, explained the situation. He got rides for the people, uh, from the people in the church to pick my dad up for church. And 
Then my dad said to me one day, he called on a Sunday afternoon, and he said, well, today the pastor was saying if you wanted to make a public decision to follow Jesus, you can come forward. But he said, you know, I was in the middle of the row, and I had my walker. My dad had a walker by then, and he said, I didn't want to make a fuss, so I was thinking of calling the pastor and setting this up. Typical, my dad, super organized, you know, he had to have it all set up. But he said, what do you think about that, that idea? I said, no, that's a great idea, just call him. He set it up, and somebody was there and flipped their phone up and took a video and sent it to me and my dad. And, and his, you know, again, you had to know the old colonel, but he said, I'm here today because I want to pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, you know, I tell that story because some of you felt like, what difference does prayer make? Does prayer make any difference? Yes, it makes all the difference. As we get ready for communion, the men are going to, or the ushers, excuse me, are going to come forward and bring communion in just a moment. I want to remind you that there's one prayer that is the most important prayer that you could ever pray. And that is a prayer to let Jesus be your leader, your Lord. Some of you here today may have been to church for a long time, but you've never done that. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Communion is a great opportunity to do that. You know, Jesus said this in the book of Revelation. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat. Meaning have fellowship, communion with him. Do you want that today? As we take the elements which represent the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, I want to encourage you, if you've never made that decision, to do that right now. Pray with me. Let's, let's bow our heads and hearts. Father, thank you for every person that's here today. And for those that need to make a commitment, pray this prayer silently in your heart with me. Dear God, thank you for coming and dying for me. Forgive my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And help me to become who you really want me to be. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus has come into your life. And I want to encourage you to let me or one of the pastors or the elders know. We want to help you in your faith. And Father, Lord, as we partake of these elements today, help us to do so in a way that we connect with you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.